Hi there. Welcome to Finding Space with Alex Tyson, the show that celebrates the everyday legends who put in the hard work to become who they want to be and live the life they want to live. For people who understand that when we practice compassion and find wisdom within ourselves, we find success and happiness. Join me in hearing amazing stories from everyday individuals who have found incredible personal and professional growth through varied and, at times, wild methods of self-improvement and self-responsibility. And through their unique perspectives and work, have gone on to better the lives of those around them. From nurturing health to growing your wealth or enjoying the present to crafting your future, no aspect of life is off topic. And hey guys, just a quick note that we recorded this podcast before we rebranded our company from iHealth Saunas to Found Space. So if you hear any references of iHealth Saunas, that's why. Today I'm speaking with Molly Taylor. Molly is an Australian rally car driver for Subaru Do Motorsport. In 2016, she became the first female and youngest winner of the Australian Rally Championship. In 2013, after winning European Ladies Championship, Molly was elevated to the World Rally Rankings number one international female driver. In 2015, she was awarded one of the most prestigious awards in Australian motorsport, the Peter Brock Medal, named in honor of the late touring car legend. She knows how to drive a car, (laughs) and she also knows how to stay healthy whilst doing so. Molly is super passionate about staying fit whilst not in the driver's seat, focusing on all the areas for her to perform at her highest level. It's fascinating that all high-level athletes share the same desire and focus to win and to be successful, and they all employ similar traits to do so. This is handy when it comes to looking after the body too, and we get into some of the daily routines Molly employs to stay fit and healthy. This podcast was heaps of fun, and I hope you enjoy some of the fascinating rally driving stories Molly has to share. And so I give you Molly Taylor. Well, thanks for coming on the, on the podcast. It's uh, it's nice to have you here. Yeah. Um, I I like to start the podcast with uh, a simple question. I mean, obviously, this podcast the the theme is kind of sweating it out. Yeah, yeah. Talking about all the cool stuff about health. Yeah. Um, and so my first question I like to ask everyone is, um, what's the sweatiest situation you've ever found yourself in? <laughs> well, in our rally cars, they get pretty sweaty. Yeah. Um, so we have to wear um, sort of Nomex, which is this fire retardant um, uh, underwear, so pants, socks, um, tops, balaclavas, and then right. we wear a triple layer race suit and gloves and helmet, and there's no air conditioning or much airflow in the car. We have um, little vents to pressurise um, the cabin to stop some dust coming in, but apart from that, yeah, there's no no other form of air conditioning. So um, it can get up to, yeah, 50, 60 degrees inside the car, and we had we had one rally um, in 2016 where we actually had some overheating problems with the engine. Yeah. Um, and so we were trying everything to try and keep the, the engine temperature, the temperature that we could Reasonable at least still um, yeah, continue. So we were trying everything, and one of those things was if you turn the, the heaters on full, effectively you get another little radiator um, to help with the cooling. So we had a 50-kilometre stage, mid-30 degrees, ambient temperature outside. It was in Coffs Harbour in November. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and the heaters blowing out you know so yeah so hot you could hardly touch it for 50ks and i felt i felt that was the worst i've ever felt when i got to the end of a stage and i'm assuming you don't have any water in the car we we carry camelbacks in the car um, but nothing you can drink while you're driving through the stage just like when you get to the end of the stage right it's like in the back yeah yeah so we had the stages about 30 minutes long yeah Um, yeah trying to concentrate at that temp was pretty intense how hot do you reckon it was yeah i reckon it was nudging around 60 Wow. I reckon. Yeah. For how long? Um, 30 minutes. 
Yeah. 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 When when you're sort of trying to concentrate and and you're also wearing that many layers and you've got, you know, just that much of your face is the only thing that's that's exposed to any, you know, non-layer. So, yeah. Are you like sweating in your eyes? Yeah, yeah, it starts to run down, and I, a couple of times I was I was having to wipe my eyes because yeah, the sweat was running um, wow. yeah, down in front of your eyes. <laughs> Once um, I was at a track day, and yeah. this guy had he'd like hotted up a it was a Rav Four, like there's no getting <laughs> nice. around. It was a Rav Four. He was overtaking everyone like V8. That's awesome. We love like, to see yeah, yeah dark horses like that. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Day. I mean, I think people were crying as he went past, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I didn't actually go in the car, but my friend did, and. Um, he said he did the same thing. He had the heater on because yeah. it was maximizing something yeah. in the engine. <laughs> and it was like, you've been at Winton before. It was... That place is either freezing or boiling. There's no extreme. Yeah. There's not a, they're not a pleasant day there. It's just, it's one or the other. Totally. Yeah. And it was, it was the latter. It was yeah. boiling. It was like 30 something yeah. crazy. And this guy's going around, he's rav four with a bloody heater on. My mate came out of there. He said, that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever been in. <laughs> like it was just hot and sweaty yeah, and then a rav yeah. four overtaken yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that would be like trying to concentrate under those circumstances. Yeah, that's the the challenge. And I think the hardest parts I found during that stage was when you had a longer straight or something, when it was lots of corners into each other, you just, you know, you kind of focused on what's happening and, and yeah. you, you don't get a chance to stop and think. And then if you've got, you know, a 300 meter straight, mm. then you've almost got a time to sort of sit and take a breath and then and you go, realize. oh my God, it's hot. So it was actually, yeah, yeah the, the more intense it was in, in some ways, it was um, yeah giving you something to focus on and take your mind off. Mm. And then it wasn't, yeah, till you get to the end of the stage and hop out of the car. And I think I hopped out of the car and went and found a tree and just, just lay down next to the tree for a while. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't move. Just like drank all of your camelback. Yeah, just... yeah, exactly. Are yeah. the stages normally that long around the world? Like 50k is a, is a long stage. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. The longest stages would be 50, 60k in, in our type of rallying that we do. Yeah. Um, on average, like 20. 20Ks would be an average length of a stage. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And the shorter ones that are like 8, 10Ks? Yeah, yeah. We can, yeah, we have um, like super special stages around towns and mm. things that can be like a kilometre. Mm-hmm. Um, in the forest, yeah, anywhere from 5 would be a really short stage, 8, 10, mm-hmm. um, then up to, yeah, 20 to 30 would be average in Australia. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then uh, I think you've been to Finland before yeah. or somewhere up there. Same thing, similar length yeah, stages? Yeah, s- similar lengths. They're probably, yeah, 20 to 30 on average, sometimes a bit more, sometimes a yeah. bit less. And is that yeah. the opposite? Like, is it really cold when you're in the car? Uh, we do that rally in their summer. So, again, it's okay. 30 degrees. And, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. And yeah, that is very right. nice temperature usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. So, yeah. I, I was watching the F1. I watched the F1 a little bit, and um, I think it's Shanghai. I think it's Shanghai where... It, it's quite hot, and, mm. and, and all their drivers are saying that it's, like, really just tough, you know, yeah. hard work and whatever. I don't know how long they're in the car for. Maybe it's, like, an hour or something. Yeah, like and they the humidity there would be crazy, yeah. and, and they've got they've got a lot more G-forces and more impact on the body than we would in the car. We don't have as much airflow, obviously, but yeah. um, but we don't, yeah, we don't hold the same grip and speed through a corner that an yeah. F1 car can. I feel like it's a different form of concentration, though. Yeah. I, I, I mean... I've never driven an F1 car yeah. or a rally car. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, yeah, but I've had a bit of go on, on some decent sims and I feel yeah. like it's it's different. Yeah, you know, I feel like the state of flow in a rally car, you could probably tell me more about that. Um, it's, I feel like it's different to being an F1 Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're ultimately always trying to drive on the edge of whatever group you have, but when mm. you're going around a, a circuit that's set and, you know, you, you 
sort of doing everything in really micro adjustments, you generally know your breaking point for each corner, the speed, and it's just trying to repeat that process yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, in a rally car, you've just got so many variables. So you've obviously got the, the pace notes from the co-driver trying mm. to describe the speed of the corners, but it, you know you haven't necessarily ever done them before. So you, you don't know for sure that that's yeah. the right braking marker. So you're trying to judge all that. And obviously the grip can change um, the how rough the road is, if it's just been raining or if it's drying out or yeah. if, um, you know, the car in front's pulled a rock out in the middle of the road, you have to adjust to that. So yeah. you're just constantly on the fly and just trying to you know, be as precise and on the edge of the grip that you can, but that level's always changing. So no corner's ever the same. Yeah, exactly. That's what fascinates me about rally driving because mm -hmm. it's, it just seems that you always... It's always different. You're always on the edge. Yeah. You don't know if a car's come in front of you and they've take. There's a big rock on the road or something like that. Oh, yeah. It's just. It's good fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I do. Do you find getting in a state of flow when you are through a stage where you're mm. just you're really feeling it and the pace notes are rolling in and. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's the. That's always the goal. Um, mm. And yeah, it's not. It's not necessarily that easy to achieve, but you always find. Like normally if I get to the end of the stage and I don't remember much of it, mm. that's an indication to me that it was all going well because yeah. if you've got time to kind of consciously think about it and process everything that you're doing, then yeah. you're probably not driving fast enough because yeah. rea in reality should just be, you know, picking up that bit of information, yeah. you know, adjusting to it and then moving on to the next piece. So not, yeah. yeah, not sort of consciously trying to figure it out too much in your head, just, just going by feel and, and as it's coming. Yeah, it's mm. like... Um, like those steps of learning where you're like um consciously incompetent and then uh unconsciously incompetent consciously incompetent and then yeah. you're uh unconsciously uh, uh consciously competent and then unconsciously competent yeah i feel like you want to get to a stage where you're unconsciously competent it's just happening yeah. exactly yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 totally so how do you prep then when you're going to do a 30 20 30k stage and it's 35 degrees like how do you prepare yourself for that um well that's was one of the reasons apart from all the health benefits but another major reason why i wanted a sauna yeah um just to to be you know be in those temperatures all the time so it didn't mm. feel like something that was completely foreign that you weren't used to adjusting to yeah. um then obviously like hydration is really important especially mm. for the concentration yeah. um so just making sure that we, I always just have water in my camelback, but then I'll take another bottle with some electrolytes yeah. um, as well. So, yeah, making sure you're hydrated beforehand. And obviously, we go from one stage straight into a, another stage. So, you've got to keep that going the mm. whole way. Um, and then, yeah, let, let adrenaline take care of the rest, I guess. <laughs> you don't really like think that. about it. Just drink some just water. Go over it. Adrenaline does it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you're about to oh, <laughs> yeah, drink my water. <laughs> yeah, all good. And so. And then when it comes to cognitive performance, it's just, again, hydration practice. Yeah, yeah, doing whatever you can so that, I mean, a lot of the, the training um, for rallying, obviously, like you need a degree of strength and endurance and, and fitness, but I think the biggest part of the whole fitness thing is for you, for your concentration, so you're able to um, focus when, you know, it might be hot and if you maybe weren't fit, you would start to feel it in, in your body more mm. um, than if you just adapted to being in that con like state more yeah. often. And it's just you can still concentrate and think about everything else that's going on. Yeah. There's mm. that guy called um, David Goggins. I don't know if you've mm. heard of him. He released a book recently. He just, uh, he's like an ex-Navy SEAL and he 
you, you know how they have that like onboarding camp called Hell Week or whatever. Yeah, it is. yeah, he, yeah. He went through that and he enjoyed it so much that he like dropped out so he could do it again. <laughs> and he yeah, take, take some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he does all these. He he ran something like an ultra marathon every weekend, like seven weeks in a row. Like, I just watched a documentary um, last night on Netflix, Iron Cowboy. <laughs> Documentary oh, yeah. about the guy who did 50 Ironman in 50 days. Oh, my and it's gosh. Just, I've done one half Ironman and, and I wasn't rushing out to do another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let alone, yeah, 54 ones in 50 days, which is... What would his body be like after that? It was in a pretty bad state. But, yeah, yeah he was having to get IV um, yeah. saline every day by the end. And, like, you could just see his body through the process. Oh, my it's gosh. Just, you could yeah, see every single vein and... Yeah. Yeah, just he looks, looked in a bad way. He recovered completely fine and and yeah it was 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 all good but yeah <laughs> didn't look pretty <laughs> i think by even like the second or third iron man he had like massive blisters on his feet and was cycling with his feet sitting on top of his shoes because he couldn't put his feet in his oh shoes God, already it just so makes me feel ill thinking yeah, about it yeah completely i think i think people understand that that's like that's not healthy right people get that but do you think some people look at that and go wow Oh, yeah, I think so. I think people are interested to see, like, what is actually physically possible if you, you know, yeah. set your mind up. But he'd already done sort of, I think, 30 Ironman in, in a year and he'd done all these feats before. All so right. he was, like, very well trained and had the support crew and, yeah. And I don't think many people would want to rush out and do that. Nah. How'd you go <laughs> with your half Ironman? Um, yeah, it was not the most enjoyable experience. <laughs> Did you train a lot? Um, yeah, like as much as, I mean, obviously like with travel, when you're training for stuff like that, it's the hardest thing because a lot of it's just lots of time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as much as I could, um, we actually only did half of the swim. We got halfway through the swim um, and then there was a shark sighting and we all got evacuated out of the water. No way. <laughs> yeah. So that, oh. yeah, that was exciting start. And then we started from the beach and went into the transition for the bike and then did the bike and run. But right. yeah, it was like a 30 something degree day and yeah. Yeah, it was a like it was a good challenge and target to for your training to work towards, yeah. and the, you know, awesome atmosphere, and we're, yeah. we're with a bunch of our training club that all train for the same event. But, yeah, cool. But yeah, I think you would need to you need to have time to focus on that yeah. to make it be more pleasurable. I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I I'm training for a marathon at the moment. Yeah, I've okay. ran two half marathons. Yeah, and I remember after I did the first, like I've never been a runner. Yeah. And, and I just decided, yeah, this is one thing I want to do. I like running, but I've yeah. never been a good runner. And I remember after I did the first half marathon, I thought, I remember that night, I walked into my bedroom and I thought, Alex, you want to go double that I distance? I know, yeah. Are you sure, mate? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a long way. You know? Yeah, yeah. And in the, in, in the, in the ramp up, I, I'm actually a bit injured now, which sucks, but in the, in the ramp up to the marathon, it was like, um, yeah, you got to put in the time. Yeah. Yeah. Got, and I, I imagine it would be the same with Ironman. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've just got to put the time in and the time in and all the different disciplines. And, yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's something when you're with a group of people and it's a good adventure. But, yeah, yeah when you're trying to juggle, juggle traveling and obviously yeah. racing, which is the priority, you don't want to yes. sort of sacrifice anything for your racing so you can of do course. your Ironman training. So, um, yeah. yeah, I would rather do it when I had a bit more time to, um, yeah, to try and enjoy it a bit more. Mm. Yeah, this David Goggins fellow, he posted a video where he was training for the Moab 240, which is like a 240-mile run yeah. through the desert. And he's training, it's like 35 degrees, and he's got like two hoodies on and like this massive rucksack that's just full of sand or something. Yeah. And he's like, you know, 
I'm he's just talking all this stuff. Like, man, you're a freak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very impressive. There's always going to be people that need to push the envelope to that degree. I don't. Yeah. I don't think I'm one of those people. I enjoy yeah. a challenge, but yeah, yeah, something yeah, yeah. That's Maybe yeah, not as extreme. But I like the idea of training for the environment that you're going to be in. Right, that's what the sauna's for. Because you're yeah. going to be out in the car. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally, and and something as well to keep it. I mean, it's it's a really unique sport in the fact that you know every other sport you go and train that sport every day. Um, in motorsport, you get in the car the week of the event to do a yeah. bit of a shakedown and then you go. So mm. it's what you can do in those weeks to try and replicate it or try and be in the best position possible. So when you do get that chance to get in the car, mm. um, but yeah, kind of like playing soccer and, mm. and not kicking a ball until yeah. just the week of each of your competitions, which are only, you know, six a year. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting sport in that way to try and prepare and get inventive with everything else that you do. Do you do a lot of sim like racing as practice? For the circuit racing stuff that I've been doing this yeah. year, I've been doing a fair bit of that, uh, mainly because all the tracks are new and I've never, mm. for me anyway, that I've mm. never been there. So um, for me to learn the breaking points and yeah. just do laps around the track, that's been useful. Yeah. Um, for rally, the, the simulation games, you can't pick like the exact location and the exact stages that we'll mm. do. So mm. I do more work for rally watching onboard footage yeah. of myself and other people from previous years. Um, and then a bit of sim mainly just for that concentration focus, just so you're, you know, practicing reacting to things and not mm. necessarily, you know, exactly what you're going to do, but mm. just the same kind of skill set. Yeah, I guess you could, you could prep, like, because it is about reaction, it's not about knowing the track, you could do other things to help with your reactions, right? Yeah, totally, totally. And those other reactions when you're a bit, you know, your heart rate's up already and, and you're a bit hot and all of that, yeah. Do you have uh, like a PT that you work with? Um, I'm actually, um, yeah, chatting with a, with a new guy at the moment to, to get some ideas. But um, yeah, it's a bit of, of stuff that I um, do myself from sort of what I've learned. And then um, do, I do a bit of online programming um, at the moment with a, a gym in Sydney called 98. And they do, um, yeah, this online programming that it seems to work really well and, and that I've been enjoying doing. So, mm. um, yeah, trying to mix that up with a bit more of endurance-based stuff um, on the side. How do you fit all that in when you're traveling so much? That's the tricky thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I think it's just, like, obviously you've got to be a bit flexible with what you have access to. If you've got access to a gym, I'll do something there. But quite often it's a hotel room or mm. being able to go for a run. Mm. Um, so that'll be sort of the main things I, I guess I do. Um but yeah, trying to have a bit of a bit of structure so in a week you sort of know what what your ideal situation is, and then trying to do what you can, and and then not getting too hung up on it. I think if it's not exactly what you want to do, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that's I'd be guilty of that. You know, I'll write down everything I want to do, and if I don't tick it all off, I'll go a bit crazy. So <laughs> sometimes <laughs> to manage your your expectations, but just yeah, being consistent I think is more important. Mm. Yeah, I find traveling and trying to look after yourself is difficult yeah it's really yeah. hard yeah you, yeah you just uh, i mean you can prep a lot but ultimately this the, the moment will come where you have to like compromise on a health choice yeah gotta eat this thing I, I, yeah it's not ideal yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know totally didn't get that run yeah. this morning because the plane was delayed yeah. and, I and needed you can start sleep. off motivated then once you it's really easy i find once you sort of go oh whatever then it's it's you can very quickly become a <laughs> massive spiral. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, trying to keep, like, on that, on the good side of that. So do you, if you know you're going away, do you plan, like, I'm going to, 
go for this run then and then we're doing this thing with the car for these few hours like you're pretty regimented in that yeah of. yeah when i can um like for example we went on a trip to perisher um with subaru so that was mm. not a motorsport trip but just with some journalists and a bit of a, a media trip um and obviously like i knew then that you know there wasn't going to be a gym i couldn't just go outside for a mm. for a jog so I, I tried to you know before we before we went do sort of any of the like really heavy gym work that I could. So that was, that was all done and maybe, you know, went a bit harder for a day mm. when I knew that I was going to be traveling for a day. Mm. Um, yeah, then I just <laughs> woke up one morning and decided it would be really good to do a um, hundred squats, hundred push-ups, and a hundred sit-ups and a hundred burpees. <laughs> I thought that was, that would be a good thing until I realized that a hundred burpees is a like lot. pretty awful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did that love morning just be before we left. So mm. at least it was something. So yeah, trying to at least plan out um, ideally, and I mean, it doesn't always happen, but at least then you've got an idea in your head and mm. you're not just sort of, I guess, going with the flow too much. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I find body weight exercises are really handy for when you travel. Yeah. You yeah. can do that stuff anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember I traveled with, um, with one of my colleagues, Bruce, who yeah. you know, and it was the first time we traveled together and one morning he's like, oh, well, let's go out and do this. Um, I've got a little workout for us. And I was like, all right, we're, we're in China. It was, again, it was hot. Mm. Seems to be a theme. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was like 7.30 in the morning. It was already like 32 degrees. It was like peak. Of their yeah, season. yeah. And it was 100 jumping jacks, um, 75 air squats, 50 burpees and um, 25 push-ups. Yeah. And I wasn't like super fit and I wasn't, familiar with that sort of workout at the time and i got to the burpees i was like man yeah. are you sure i know i did the first 10 and i was like oh this is a bad idea yeah <laughs> but then yeah i was like no i've got to do it yeah yeah totally yeah. and just knowing i think even if it's like 10 15 20 minutes how much better you feel for the rest of the day especially when you're sitting on planes and in cars and 100%. Yeah. yeah yeah that's what i love about running because you can just do that do it anywhere yeah, yeah. bring yeah. some shoes and some shorts yeah and Sure, yeah, it's a great way to see the area as well. Yeah. When I've been traveling and I remember once I was in Paris and I had half a day and ended up running like 15 Ks through and, yeah. and sort of saw it, never like go into any of the major sites, but like ran past the Louvre. I was like, yep, it's cool. It's the Eiffel Tower. And yeah, 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 it was great. <laughs> yeah, spot on. Yeah, yeah, I was in Germany last year. Um, same thing. We're in this tiny town and I was just running around. First couple of days, it was really early in the morning, so it was just dark. Yeah. I was like, if I get lost here, that could be a problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah and it's then, the only but, problem. <laughs> yeah. But then on the last day, um, it was still cold and wet, um, yeah. but it was the, the, the it was bright enough to see, and it was just this beautiful countryside run. Yeah. This lady was on this horse just slowly coming past me, and she said <laughs> hello and a couple other things in German. I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, and you get to see. Best way to see it. Yeah, yeah. you get to see places you don't yeah. normally see. Yeah. I was in Italy, um, and same thing happened i was just i was actually just going for a morning walk and i didn't know we we're so close to the coliseum <laughs> and i'm just like walking around yeah, yeah this is quite, i was like wow <laughs> that's the coliseum right there yeah, okay man. cool you know yeah yeah um so yeah yeah i like running for that for that sense and body weight exercises 100 burpees though that's that's tough yeah yeah i probably not in a rush to do it again but you know once it happened yeah yeah once um bruce and i did we just did burpees for seven minutes yeah that's like, brutal unless, yeah i think we got to like 120 it's the one exercise that you can like do five and get a sweat on <laughs> yeah just, totally yeah 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 
quickest mm. way to get yeah get stuff. so um so what does it look like in the lead up to a rally then like what's your process yeah so it starts probably a couple of weeks out depending on how much time i've got um but we'll be going through and trying to as soon as they release the schedule of what the stages they're going to use um they'll normally do a comparison of what is common from previous years um so then that's the opportunity to look back and um, go through old notes and see what what's common and, and what we can use and what um and so sometimes there's a bit of reshuffling of um, some of our notes so we'll go through and work out which bits we can use which bits we have to write new and and sort all that out um and then i'll spend a heap of time watching the footage from previous years and go through the notes and make any tweaks that i i think i can change mm. um obviously the team's flat out at the workshop um preparing the car and, and re-prepping that it gets pretty much stripped down after every single rally so that's a like yeah. how much gets stripped down Oh, like they'll, they'll, depending on, I mean, the engine, everything's run to a life, but after a couple of rallies, it'll get to like pulling the engine apart. But um, at least, wow. you know, the engine, everything will be pulled out, the gearbox will be pulled out, inspected, um, all the components and like suspension reserviced and, um, you know, depending on how many Ks we've done with brakes and pads. And mm. um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big, pretty big exercise that's yeah. um, undertaken there. So if I can get down to the workshop, um I, I try and do that although to be honest for the past two events because we've been so busy with um all the circuit racing stuff as well i haven't had the chance to do that but it's certainly the beginning of the year spend a bit of time down there um and then we get to the rally normally a few days out um and we we do uh, normally half a day test so that's our opportunity to get in the car and um each event is kind of well, they have it like specific characteristics of that surface or if there's stuff that we're developing on the car we want to try so we might try different springs different um suspension settings so we we sort of work out what setup we want to start the car the event um with and then uh, we do the reconnaissance the next day which is where we go and um either check the pace notes if they've been from previous years or write the new ones for the new sections um and then we do some sort of media events and sometimes a like a ceremonial start in town and then yeah, okay. yeah. That's into cool. the action yeah are yeah. they long days when you're actually on site at the rally yeah yeah really long days the the recce sort of reconnaissance day where we do the pace notes is probably like in my mind one of the toughest days because it's just it's, you're just you're sitting down all day in the car mm -hmm. um but your concentration is just like you've just got to you're only driving at 60 k's an hour so you, you can't drive at full speed but at 60 k's you've got to try and envisage what it's going to be like yeah, at 150 and yeah like is this crest flat at 150 or do i need to break before or after because yeah. there's a junction afterwards so those days i find you get to the end and got the biggest brain fog <laughs> ever because yeah. you're just yeah trying to um yeah sort of make all those decisions um so that's a long day and then the rally we can start it you know it might be normally we're up depending on the schedule but somewhere between five and six would be normal and mm. then out the door and then um yeah rally pretty much all day and then get back late that night and do two days of that yeah okay yeah um i feel like when you're doing those notes that the consequences of making an error are large big <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so you always got that in the back of your head yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean obviously the pressure on the co-driver to to be able to um write them correctly so that they get their timing and they say it at the right time is important mm. but then also yeah if i say it's a flat crest and my co-driver malcolm writes it as a flat crest and he calls it a flat crest and I go flat, but I stuffed it up, then, mm. you know, you're still in trouble. So, um, yeah, that's, and that's one of the things that why, um, 
you see sort of rally drivers peak at a bit of a later age as well because there's just so much experience yeah. and you just you can only there's so much you can learn by watching but there's just so much you have to learn by doing and mm. and judging and from other rallies and experience so yeah. um yeah that's definitely an element of that and you can find some drivers learn fast but have a lot of crashes because they sort of go too far and rein it back or you know other drivers take a, a bit longer to sort of mm. build up to that speed so that's the pace notes is where you get that extra five percent on where the real speed is mm. and which one of those two types of drivers are you? <laughs> well i mean every driver has definitely had accidents so yeah. i'm no different to that and i mean that's yeah, i think if you you were a driver that hadn't hadn't rolled cars then you, you know, you're, not, you're not driving to yeah. the limit because you you yeah. can't be that close and never yeah. go over but for me certainly i was one of the ones that that would probably built up rather than started too hard and went back so yeah. um yeah and i think don't know why that's i guess just how i've been i think i'm quite analytical and have to think about things and work things out in my head a lot so that kind of lends itself to that side of the spectrum but you were quite successful quite early on though like it wasn't like it took you a long time to start winning yeah i guess so but i think you know it's looking from the outside is different than than being inside mm. and you know in my mind even when you know you were successful at the junior levels like in my mind it was still so much that wasn't right mm. so i've never and certainly when i first started um and my first time i ever drove a car like i don't think i was particularly naturally gifted i yeah. just really loved it and i think you know it's one of those sports that like if you if you work at it um, mm. because it's a learnt skill you know you can learn learn to do stuff i saw the video of you i think it was at I think it was Ballarat, I can't remember. Basically, you drove into this giant white uh, thing. Was that yeah, in Ballarat? Hey, no, that was in Coffs Harbour, so that was right. end of last year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, tell me more about what that <laughs> <laughs> like, because it just looks horrible. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think that registered um, 12 Gs Whoa. on this gas, so yeah, it was fairly significant. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were doing maybe somewhere around 120 or 130 i think when it hit mm -hmm. um but yeah that was that was just an, an error um it was basically a well coming into the rally we had had a couple of sort of um yeah a few dramas earlier in the year so we weren't in the best spot in the championship that we wanted to be in so it was kind of like this rally like all out right. um you know it's the only chance of, of moving up is if we do really well in that one event so we were attacking from the start so we were trying to drive on the edge um and just came over this crest and it was a just a really slight left um on a on a fast crest and um not a big jump but enough to sort of just the car get light and just gets off the ground um and because it was a little bit crossed up and didn't land completely square when it when it landed one one of the suspension sort of i guess used its travel up before the other side and it just it just ever so slightly um shot us to the right a bit and i could go into that speed and we were that close yeah. you know the line was that close to the the hay bale anyway so there was just nowhere to go and it just yeah we just hit the hay bale um when we landed so at that point once we were sort of in the air and landing like there was nothing yeah at that point it was all it was all done but yeah um, yeah it, is it like slow motion going through your mind when that happens um, oh, look, it was kind of, it just happened so quickly. You can kind of see, like I knew if, if you watch sort of the, if you break frame by frame down in the mm. in car, like when we're coming to land, I'm steering out knowing that I'm going to be going the wrong way, but it's all a bit in vain because you, you know, there's some physics you can't override. Yeah. 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 Yes. And so then the car 
did it go, did it, it rolled, right? Or did it kind of? No, it just um, it basically hit the hay bale and then um, came to like, yeah, a 12G kind of semi-stop, but then yeah. pivoted around and, and faced right, the other way. Right, yeah, so it didn't right. actually go over, yeah. um, but just kind of, yeah, flipped, flipped around. And then I, and then, so then what? You guys, like, you were obviously okay. Yeah. Yes, I mean, that's always the first thing that, yeah. that you ask and check that, that everyone's all right, obviously. Because in the video, I think it was your co-driver. I think, I'm not sure if it was, but they'd put the fire extinguisher on their engine, I think. In yeah, the, and, yeah. And then someone was just like, like yeah, we're right, we're right, we're good, we're good. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not nervous. sure. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, the ultimate, like, when, when stuff goes wrong in, like, any sense, he's the person you want around. He's just, like, Mr. Fix-It. He's mm. just incredible. So, um, so yeah, when we landed, because of the impact, it basically um, crushed some of the, the fuel lines and, um, yeah, the engine was in a pretty bad way. So um, it started to catch on fire. Mm. Um, straight away. So we obviously got out of the car. We have fire extinguishers in the car and a, and a plumbed-in extinguisher system. So he set all that off. Um, right. So my co-driver, yeah, had the fire extinguisher out and was, yeah, trying to get the, the fire out. And yeah. then um, the process is in that scenario because it was it was going to be quite a big fire. There was, <laughs> there was a lot of fuel to burn. Um, so at that point it was still... Um, yeah, it was still a light, um, and so that's where yeah Malcolm was fantastic because he obviously knew that if he just ex used all the extinguisher in one go, then we'd be stuck in the forest with with no no way to to um to try and get the fire out if it was still going. So he was trying to reserve the extinguisher and just keep it at bay as long as he could. Um, and then I ran up the road and um, cars come every two minutes. So then the process in that that scenario is we waited to the next car, slowed them down, they gave us out their extinguishers. Um, okay. And then they can, so basically the stage is downgraded so that they don't continue, they get replenished with fire extinguishers before they go back into the competitive sections. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it meant that we could, yeah, borrow their fire extinguishers yeah. and, and save the car because otherwise, yeah, it would have been a lot worse. So, so the people that you slowed down, they, they're, that doesn't affect their rally as no, such? No, no. So they get given back that time effectively. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's where motorsport's obviously very good because you do have the... You know, it, it can be dangerous, but the, the safety side, the processes, yeah. you know, are very strict and um, everyone follows them. We've got, yeah, so as I said, we hit the 12G and damaged the car, but we were, you know, a bit sore afterwards, but that was it. Um, <laughs> save the car, like, yeah, so it was... Um, so when you say save the car, does the car get reused? Yeah, the car was competing um, in Tasmania and we'll be racing against that same car um, in Ballarat next weekend. <laughs> Yeah, so obviously there was like an extensive repair and the guys did a, you know, the team did a phenomenal job to, to rebuild it, but it's the same chassis, um, yeah, still going. That's phenomenal. Yeah, it's an idea of the strength of the cars. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, your co-driver then, or co-drivers in general, yep. do they generally need some sort of, do they have a more technical understanding of the car and, and that side of things if you do have something go wrong on, on, on the stage? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not... Um, not not all co-drivers. It's not a prerequisite, but it mm -hmm. certainly is a massive help. Yeah. Um. And I think that's where, you know, good co-drivers are are not easy to find. I've been lucky to have, you know, some some really good co-drivers. But I think it's something that you know it's much more than just calling the pace notes. You obviously you spend so much time with them. You want to get along with them. Mm. Um. You know, you've got to have the right attitude inside the car, and then, you know, having someone that is capable when when things go wrong. Um. In the the last rally that we had. We, we came second, but um, we damaged, so I yeah, hit something that I didn't see. Um, mm. And basically we ripped off one of the brake lines 
um, in the car. So we, for a moment, we were driving to the stage when it, it basically um, was rubbing um, on the arm and then um, we got to the end of the stage, driving to the next stage and the brake pedal went to the floor. So oh. we're going to the stage in second and <sighs> and you have no brakes and going, this is, and you know, you've got the timing, you have to be at the stage at a certain time, yeah. otherwise you get penalties. Um, and literally like within a minute, um, Malcolm had, we pulled over, Malcolm jumped out, had a little blanking plug, ripped the brake line off, blanked that, that yeah. corner. So at least then we could get pressure in the other brakes and have something. Um, but yeah, obviously if you had, uh, had someone without that, that experience, yeah. then you know, like I could have fixed it, but it would have taken me five or 10 minutes and then we would have had heaps of penalties and we wouldn't have come second. So yeah. having someone when something goes wrong to just know what to do is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus be good at all the other stuff. Yeah, he's, he's, he's awesome. Yeah, I mean, so that night, like, like, are you doing anything? Like, were you, were you a bit wired about the whole thing? Like, were you in bed? Like, Jesus, you know, am I actually all right? Like, did you go, I'm assuming you went to the hospital? Uh, yeah, well, they have, um, like, medical staff at the events. So mm. we went there and got checked out and kind of cleared, I guess, mm -hmm. um, for anything like that. Um, and, yeah, we went actually and, and saw one of the team um, physio offered to sort of see us and give us a bit of a, a yeah. check over because I mean, think every, everything's just really tight. So a lot of the muscles for the next few weeks mm. needed a bit of physio just to, to get at all those knots and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Um, but, yeah, apart from that. Um, and then, yeah, it's just... I mean, it's just a pretty low feeling. There's obviously a lot of highs with motorsport, but, yeah. um, you know, when you've got a whole team that, that is putting everything to building the car and getting there and all these expectations on the result, you kind of just, yeah. you know, for me, it's not, obviously, you know, there's sort of the impact of the crash and, and that, but, it, like, more so than that, it's the fact of feeling that, like, you let everyone down and that, that yeah. kind of really crappy feeling, um, that more so than... You know, oh, as long as everyone's all right, obviously that's the first priority. And then mm. after that, it's it's not. It's, yeah, it's about feeling for for everyone else. That mm. yeah, you feel feel pretty crap about that. Is that kind of expected when you guys knew that you had to push? Oh, like you know, it's I guess an increased risk if you if you're going to be trying to push that bit harder. Mm. Um, but it's something you can't really. I mean, if you're sort of going into a stage thinking about those things. <laughs> oh, we got you then. Oh, it's still going. Oh, no. Anyway, whatever. Um, but, yeah, if you go into those stages thinking about that, then you're not going to be concentrating on the right thing, and then, ironically, you're more likely to make a mistake. So whilst you're sort of in the moment, you've just got to be focused on the corner in front and and literally nothing else. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you sort of obviously prepare and manage, and there's some sections of a stage maybe you've got noted that you won't push because it's a particularly... Mm -hmm. sort of gnarly bit of road or for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, so you try and yeah, be smart about where you push. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, you just got to try and feel everything the best you can. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that feeling of like, oh, I've just let the whole team down. Yeah, yeah that's the worst. Yeah. 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 It was when I first started rallying and when it was sort of the budget that I was trying to find, mm. then you just, yeah, I remember, I remember I rolled um, a Fiesta once in the UK that was um, a sponsor had bought for me. Yeah. Um, and I was finding all the money to run and yeah, I remember rolling and, and we were sort of rolled. It wasn't particularly fast, but it was just like off the side of a road and there was a bit of a ravine. So it kind of did a slow roll. And then with the momentum, just sort of kept rolling and rolled like four or five times. Oh my God. But I remember all I was thinking about was, uh, was trying to turn, I had a little switch panel sort of down, um, where the gearbox is, which has all your controls and where you start the engine. And all I was trying to do was turn the engine off because all I could think was, 
man, if it's running and upside down, I'm going to have to do the, like, rebuild the engine as well, and I can't afford that. <laughs> and then every time I would sort of roll, and it would, you know, hit something, and, like, my hand would slip, and I couldn't, and I just remember, like, for these rolls, just trying to get to the engine stop button, and I couldn't, and I was just I was getting so frustrated. And I was like, would you just stop rolling so I can turn the engine off? Um, so, yeah, they're the immediate thoughts that, like, go through your head at that point. It's yeah. Like, oh, man, this is going to be expensive. And, yeah. <laughs> it's funny how the brain works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm, like, rolling down a hill now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, so yeah yeah so so yeah okay have you so there was that role there was that other one in coughs have there been other any crashes like that you've been injured with or anything like that touch wood not not injured like not more than just being a bit sore um but yeah i mean the cars are strong i've had yeah yeah, a reasonable amount i mean not not an excessive amount of crashes i don't think um and and yeah touch wood i mean the crash we had last year was the first one I'd had in like six years, so yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly more when you're learning, um, and yeah, you sort of got to make the mistakes to learn from them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some some yeah spectacular ones, but but thankfully nothing where where we were hurt, just the, the car. I think that also comes back to like your fitness level as well, because um, I know even just through um, like looking at your Instagram, like you do a lot of outdoorsy kind of stuff yeah and you you're you're fit so i feel like that helps in those instances where it is down to the body surviving yeah like having a good level of fitness is, is yeah important. i think so and i think in in the in the rally environment or in all the motorsport environments if you if you do have a, a stronger core and you're generally a bit stronger then if you uh, you know do have those impacts or you know you can brace better for things and you're just yeah, generally less likely to have a little niggle that's going to create a bigger problem mm. um so yeah i think all that helps yeah, yeah. Even if it's just in the mindset, it helps as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So when you're at a rally or even when you're not at a rally, what's your morning routine? Um, yeah, I mean, it does when you're on the road, it's not always exactly the same. Well, what's your ideal? Um, my ideal, like <laughs> normally, so like this morning or when I'm, when I'm at home, yeah. um, I'll get up like reasonably early, mm. like normally just before six. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, have a glass of water always mm. um, and a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then if I'm home, we go straight to the gym. Um, so my partner and I train um, together early um, before he has to go to work. So we, yeah, we do that, we go to the gym. Um, if I've got time, I'll, we're, the gym's about one and a half k's from, from our place. If I've got time, I'll, I'll walk home from the gym, mm. um, put a podcast on or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, usually uh, jump in the sauna Yeah. Um, straight away. And, and yeah, that for about 30 minutes on average, a bit more if I've got some more time. Yeah, um, yeah then, then shower. I've been working up the times on my cold shower part. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> you, feel, you feel so good afterwards, but telling yeah. yourself that in the moment when you turn the cold water on, it's <laughs> <Absolutely>. like, man, <laughs> we lost hot water. Well, it was a blackout a couple of days ago and we lost hot water and I was oh. like, oh, stuff it, I'm still going to have a cold shower. Yeah. And it was awful, but yeah, the next couple of hours, it was just, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. So. Yeah, and then, then get started. Yeah, nice. Last year, um, I kept. I was. I'm always talking about cold showers, as you know, and or going in the cold pool. And I, and I remember I had a few clients. I said, Alex, it's the middle of winter. It's Melbourne. We're not getting in a cold shower. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I, I, I made it. So I made a video, and it was like quarter to six in the morning, and I'm yeah. like in, jumping in the cold shower, and it's it's never fun turning on the yeah. cold shower. At but time. but it's dramatic, the feeling afterwards. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and where I'm living at the moment, we have a pool out the back. Yeah, nice. And so uh, for a couple of months, I wasn't going in there. When it started to get cold, I was like, Alex, what yeah. are you doing? 
go in the pool. Yeah. And that's just like uh, even a step up again because the water is contacting your body everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Well, we yeah. live um, near the beach, so yeah. Um, up until like I would say the last two months, I haven't done it, so I probably need to pull my finger out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, partly because most days we've had like horizontal rain and wind, and at that point I'm calling off the beach expedition. But up until sort of um, May. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'd go outside and, and jump in the ocean, which awesome. yeah, is amazing. Yeah, So cleansing in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Um, last year I was doing a water fast in um, Queensland and it's just water. That's all I was having for like for how long? nine days. Wow. And it's incredible how um, you go to the ocean, it, it energizes you wow. when you're in there. Like, just How did you find that? incredible yeah it yeah was like awesome totally that would have been really tough yeah there were there were hard moments like I, yeah. I, I wanted to go a little bit longer but i was just there by myself um, yeah doing my own thing and and got, is that like just as much a mental experience as physical or absolutely. is it mainly for yeah yeah yeah, yeah. wow that's um, impressive yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i get like hangry if it's been four hours <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's just part of my journey i really wanted to do it and um, yeah, well. it was incredible for, for a whole facet of reasons, but when you go to the ocean, you realize how, how cleansing that the, yeah. the, the ocean is yeah. and how much energy you actually get by being in the surf yeah, and yeah. being... And you just can't be in a crap mood. Exactly. <laughs> or if you do, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't leave there and still be, yeah, still be annoyed at something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's such a space of just, yeah, clearing out mm -hmm. and, and, and refreshing and even just like swirling salt water around in your mouth, you're just like, oh. Nice, you know, gargling some salt water and people looking at you, but you know. It's, it's, well, when you haven't eaten for nine days, then fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I was doing some weird stuff, you know. Yeah, um, yeah it was, yeah, the ocean's awesome. I, I would love to live near the ocean to do that. Yeah. To just yeah. be able to go down there every morning and just, yeah, get into that space. So that's nice. That's a good, that's a solid sort of morning, get the day going. Yeah, definitely a morning type of, I'd prefer getting stuff done early. I feel like that's when I'm more productive. When it gets to like 7, 8 p.m., I'm getting ready for bed. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. yeah, I used to I used to be really um, like, I would always tell people, like, get up in the morning. Like, yeah. that's when the day happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was listening to a sleep scientist recently who was saying, actually, like, th there's three kinds of people. There's morning people, people that are neither, and yeah. then, like, late-night people. And based on our circadian rhythm, when our brain releases yeah. melatonin and all this stuff, yeah, right. actually dictates that. Yeah. I was like, man, I've probably been telling all these people that <laughs> yeah. are late-night people to, like, get up early and wondering why <laughs> yeah, they yeah. don't enjoy it. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. So, yeah, that's nice. And so I feel like when you're at a rally, then your evenings are important too because if you're sleep-deprived and you're doing a rally stage yeah. or more importantly writing those notes yeah like you want to be on point during yeah those days, yeah right? yeah so do you focus on making sure you get a good sleep when you're at a rally as much as i can yeah, yeah. i mean that certainly like even the sort of week leading up to the rally and and that sort of thing i won't yeah try and do anything that involves being up late at night so you can get into the good pattern of, of being mm. in bed early and and um, yeah, obviously trying to get as much sleep as you can. But I mean, sometimes you, if we if we go late into the night, um, you know, you might not get back to the ho hotel till ten o'clock, and you've got to get up at six. But you've also it's ten o'clock, and you've just gone and driven flat out around the stage, so yeah, it's a bit high. You've still got that adrenaline buzz, so up. it's. Yeah. And I think you know you always fall into that 
waking up at three or four in the morning just ever so slightly but enough for your brain to start thinking and then yeah. you know trying to switch that off is so that's um yeah it's always a challenge I find I normally sleep all right in the beginning part of the week then coming around to the first days I normally don't sleep as well and mm. then by if it's a Saturday Sunday rally Saturday night I normally have an awesome sleep because by that time you just your uh -huh. body's tired enough that all that other stuff is like you stop sort of thinking about stuff too much because you uh -huh. just your body's like I need, need the sleep and then the adrenaline will still be buzzing for the you know Saturday night Sunday night and mm. Monday night and I normally yeah then get a really good night's sleep on the Tuesday or the Wednesday after a rally when you finally yeah come back down um do you do any sort of meditative practice to help with that sort of stuff as well? Um, I probably should do more. <laughs> it's a bit like me trying to do yoga. I said I was, <laughs> I was going to do yoga every day and I found this like 30-day, like online, you know, 30 minutes of yoga, 30 days, and they took you through everything and mm -hmm. I didn't, I've done one day. <laughs> it was a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. So, yeah, that's something that, that I need to do more of. But I'd certainly, I mean, I guess it's not strict um, meditation, but definitely um I like I go through what's happening inside the car a lot inside my head, particularly um, yeah, in and around those competition days. And if it's a bit of a stage that I remember, or even if it's you know if you can't remember the stage that you're about to go and do, just thinking about maybe the test road that you're on before, and just yeah, just trying to visualize the process a lot, um, and always yeah, trying to stay in those. It's very easy to kind of start thinking about you know the stages that are they're up. Um, later in the afternoon or, or the the pressure to like what the result needs to be at the end of the weekend and that sort of stuff so just trying to yeah I suppose I do a lot of visualization rather than mm. any kind of strict meditation I like that yeah powerful yeah well and it's also you know it's you can't get in the car so it's trying to yeah. do whatever you do whatever you can <laughs> it makes me think of those um, guys who do the like the Red Bull air race yeah yeah you always yeah. see them before and they're like Oh, it's amazing. They've done some, I used to, I, there was one time I, we did a test stage and then I spent like a day trying to, like I timed the test stage and then I, I tried to close my eyes and, and drive the test stage in my head and time it and see how close I could get oh, yeah. to, to the, um, to the, the time and yeah, I managed to get it pretty close. But yeah, it took a while. How close that did you get? Girl. I think it was like around a second or two. Yeah. I mean, what? it was only like a three or four K stage, but yeah, it took a while. So that, that I think to do that around a, a circuit for circuit racing, you could probably do it a bit easier. But mm. rallies, it's always a bit too variable. And if you slide a bit wide on one corner or, mm. or whatever, but, um, but yeah, certainly doing it as realistic as you can, I think. I, um, I remember when Nico Rosberg won the Formula One World Championship, I saw this thing on all of the stuff that he was doing to yeah. just make him as optimal as possible. Like he, I, th I don't know if he had a sleep scientist working with him, but he did, he was doing all this stuff around sleep. He was doing cryotherapy. Yeah. He was probably doing sauna. They were doing all this stuff. And I found it interesting how that then correlated with that was the year that he won the world championship. Do you find people like, like gods, like Sebastian Loeb and these kind of dudes, are they doing stuff just next level to the people below them? Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, it's the consistency in all those little things. Um, and I think from from my experience, I mean, certainly there's like, there's always in sport going to be like an element of good or bad luck, but there's a lot that you can control. Mm. And I think it's um, like all the effort you put into the little things so that when something doesn't go quite right, you're able to to fix it before it becomes an issue. Like the example with losing the brakes and, and Malcolm, my co-driver, being able to fix that 
Um, so what could have cost us second place cost us five seconds in penalties. Mm. Um, and just all those little things. And then, you know, if you're fit and, um, you know, you've got a longer stage and, and you know, maybe if you were tired and not as fit, you would lose concentration. And it, it might not be, you know, a massive mistake that you might make, but it might be enough to get a puncture and that puncture could have a flow on effect and then become a bigger issue. Mm. So, yeah, I think in my experience, it's all like focusing on the one percenters mm. so that you can you can control everything and stop it becoming a bigger problem because once, you know, if you do it the other way and, and sort of think, oh, we'll just wing it and we'll be right, then something happens. And it's not necessarily a big issue, but that creates something else and something else. And then, you know, there's a there's a big issue that in itself you might say, oh, we couldn't have prevented that. But, yeah, it's not always the case. Yeah. yeah. I find that's just the same with, like, looking after yourself too. <laughs> yeah, totally, <laughs> like, totally, yeah. You know, um, yeah. Like I was saying earlier, I've got a, I, I changed my running style and, and now I've got a, an, an issue with my Achilles and I was, I'm leading up to the Melbourne Marathon, I'm not going to run it now because of that injury. I was like, okay. I was like, if I was probably three years younger, I reckon I'd just push through that yeah. and then it would become something more. Yeah. And then, and then you would live with it. Exactly. Yeah. And then it would just become a, a, a bigger issue down yeah. the track. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. We always That's why I've always like never gone through with training for a marathon because I just figure it's like managing industry in injury yeah. would be the hardest thing with the whole process yeah trying to yeah train to be fit enough and not injured seems yeah. like is the problem everyone has yeah yeah, yeah well, that's certainly what I've experienced I mean I think if you if you get the form your form right and you really you just got to be committed yeah like to putting the hours in the running but then outside of that mm. um my sister ran a marathon a couple of years ago, but she's just like, if I'm going to train for a marathon, I want it to be epic. So she entered a marathon in Iceland. <laughs> she, she flew to Iceland to do this marathon. No way. Yeah, it, was ama- it looked amazing. Um, but yeah, she was like, I'm not, I'm not going to train for the marathon and then, um, you know, just go and do the local one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fly to the other side of the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Did she enjoy it? Loved it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, probably she didn't enjoy the last 10Ks, but... Yeah. Enjoyed the hot springs afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. The onsens or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, last thing I just wanted to touch on, um, besides the fact that we're actually sweating like crazy right now, which is quite nice. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> I just got worried for a second. I was like, I'm going to turn the heater off because I don't want the recording to... Uh... Oh, to fail after all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think... I find it's like a tap. You sort of, you're all right, and then it gets to a point and the tap goes on and then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a sauna this morning, actually, because I was like... Yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I was just... That's why I texted you, like, are we still on? Because I really want a sauna, <laughs> otherwise I'm going to hop in the sauna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I went for a walk in the rain yeah. instead, which wasn't was nice. Mm. So, um, why aren't there more women in motorsport? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I think there's, there's, you know, a whole heap of reasons. Mm. Um, but I think, I mean... There's like there's such a obviously number of people that get involved at the grassroots level, and mm-hmm. then that kind of filters out as you get towards the top level. And I think you know if you look now at motorsport, there's a heap more young girls getting in at a grassroots level. Mm. Um, so I think that's going to be one of the biggest reasons for the change um, because I think a lot of it has been you know when not that females have been told they can't do it, but it's just from what you know a young girl would perceive just from looking around at society and watching motorsport and what she sees you know you don't see a prominent place for women Mm. um and that's something that we've been changing with like a number of initiatives here but also globally 
um, there is more of a spotlight on women and, and being able to s sort of showcase women that are achieving. Um, I think that's making a big difference mm. sort of to the next generation. So mm. um, I think that's one of the biggest things, maybe one of the reasons why and one of the biggest things we can change mm. like, for the next generation. So, yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, it's always been a bit of a, a blokey thing. I mean, there's definitely, you know, I find sometimes like I don't, like maybe, you know, amid sort of an ego or testosterone thing, you know, you have to sort of be prepared to push yourself outside of that comfort zone. Mm, so, mm. Um, you know, maybe there's there's more people that want to do that just to prove who they are, whereas I think, you know, the the real key is like finding people that want to prove that because that's what they love to do mm. in itself rather than all the outside stuff. So maybe that's like a female thing, you know, I find sometimes I've got to push myself a bit more mm -hmm. um, in certain scenarios. But, um, yeah, I think... Yeah, all those factors, but mainly just the the opportunity for young girls to get in, mm. so that we have more at the bottom to then feed up to the top. Because there's a um, is there a there's a women's I think it's like a GT three class in Europe or something like yeah, that. Yeah, this was the first year they did a. It's called the W series, and yeah. Yeah, basically it's okay. a a female only. Um, they did a big selection process, mm. um, selected the the top girls, and they got, all got a funded drive in this championship so they all get, get experience it's been a bit controversial um yeah. because there's you know there's one school of thought that is you know this is in, this is giving females that wouldn't have the budget or the opportunity to compete to compete for a year and kind of develop and prove themselves mm -hmm. um and then there's the other school of thought that most sports one of the only sports where you can compete men and women equally mm -hmm. so why are you yeah. why are you setting that back um you know after all the work that's been done mm. um but i think i think the the true test will be um, Jamie Chadwick, who just won the series. What she goes on to do now is sort of, I guess, a like proof of concept. Right. I think that'll be um, it'll be interesting to see whether how that goes to then be able to see like maybe it is beneficial to give these girls more of a leg up or mm -hmm. yeah. So um, I mean, she's done phenomenally well, and and her career prospects look really good now. So we'll be watching to see what happens. Are the challenges still? the same like what like let's say there was a there's a, there was an even spread of males and females in in the top classes of racing the challenges would still be the same if you're a, a, a grassroots level racer anyway right like you need the money yeah to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. money is the biggest thing yeah. yeah 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 so it's um you know you've got to obviously have the talent but but you can't just have talent and nothing else you need to have the money or have access to the money or be clever with how you find sponsors or mm. have someone that will support you. So, um, yeah, there's so many factors that go in to get like the right recipe yeah. um, to be able to actually make it forward. Yeah, I mean, perhaps there's some young blokes out there who are saying, well, I'd love to have a, a, cha a championship that I could access like that one. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's, um, yeah, it's been very divisive in that way. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, good luck to Jamie. Hopefully she kicks it off. Yeah, ice. yeah, yeah. I think that'll be the, that'll be the testament to um, the... Yeah, the program, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's what I always felt. I, I, I thought, you know, there's all this weird stuff going on with, um, like, people who switched gender. They were a male and they switched to female and now they're competing in the MMA. And it's like, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's kind of a bit great. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, yeah, that's the good thing about motorsport is that it's, exactly. yeah, they're, like, physically, um, you know, sure, you've got to be fit, but it's not a the level of fitness that's unattainable for any gender. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah you can still get to the same required level. Yeah. Yeah. Are there a couple of women in the V8 Supercar Series? Yeah. So there's um, Simona Di Silvestro, who's yeah. driving um, in the main game. Um, 
and yeah, do, doing really well. Mm. Um, and she's very experienced overseas. She's done a lot, um, like in Indian open wheelers and um, Formula E and a whole bunch of stuff. So mm. um, yeah, yeah. There's certainly um, no reason why it's not possible. Yeah, cool. That's what mm. we want to see. Yeah, exactly. I'd love to see a fifty-fifty split. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think like with the number of girls that are getting involved now, um, mm. it's always a case of numbers. You know, if you start with a thousand people at the bottom and five make it to the top. If you've got, you know, one percent of them is females, the, mm. the the chances of that being one of the people, like you're just limiting your mm. your odds right from the start. So mm. if we can build the base, then I think we'll see more. And so what's next for you? What are you working on at the moment? Um so we've got our next rally next week, yeah. which will be round four of the Australian Championship. Um so we're currently second in that at the moment. Um so yeah hopefully we'll yeah, keep putting the pressure on to try and get one step up, yeah. <laughs> big road ahead. But dodge, yeah, dodge the hay bales. Yeah, yeah, we'll dodge the hay bales. That's also the plan. Um, and then straight away the week after is um, a round of the TCR Championship, which is the circuit series that I'm doing a couple of rounds of yeah. this year. Um, so that'll be my last round that I do, um, which has been yeah, an awesome experience and uh, jumping in the deep end and yeah. yeah, it's been fantastic. So doing that, um, and then the following week I am. Um, in Geneva for 36 hours, so yeah, right. that's going to be a fun trip. Um, What's yeah. happening over there? Uh, so I'm uh, the Australian delegate for the FIA, which is the global body for motorsport. Um, they have a, a WRC, World Rally Championship Commission, and a, a regional rally commission, and I'm yeah the, the delegate from Australia for them. So. Awesome. Yeah, which is a new thing that's just, I've just um, been given that position this year, so it's, um, yeah, it's fantastic to see the the other side of the world, or the other side of the sport at a, a global scale, and yeah, yeah, fascinating. And last question, this is just for my personal knowledge, the, <laughs> the step up between uh, the Australian Championship and the WRC, yeah. is it crazy? <laughs> yeah, again, it's it's money. So, the, right. like the cars that um, we compete at in the Australian level, the, there's, I guess the, the level and the speed of those cars is what is the WRC2 level, yep. I guess. Um, so you could go and compete at that level um, and then the next step is the the full-on WRC cars but um, I mean for example to do the WRC2 program mm. you'd need to find sponsorship of close enough to a million dollars to yeah. make it happen so okay. it's um it's always not yeah like sort of you win that series and then you get promoted to the next series um yeah you win that series and you get a pat on the back and then <laughs> you gotta yeah. find the budget and the sponsors to continue so it's um yeah it, it's very much a business and and uh yeah how you make that work yeah yeah. My only experience with that is when I've done a track day at Winton. Yeah. Even just buying new tyres and brakes after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, it's I can't unreal. afford to do this all the time. It's, it's like different money. I remember when I was, you know, I'm very lucky now to, um, you know, have the support of Subaru and, and do it with the official factory team. But mm. up until then, it was, you know, up to me to find sponsors. And, yeah. and yeah, so you would, you know, you'd buy tyres that are like $300 per tyre. <laughs> And you sort of think, oh, yeah, I'll just need to get two more sets of them. and But I'm not paying $5 for a coffee. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get dropping the money on that. It's just like it's a different, yeah, it's just a completely different, um, yeah, type of type of world. Different priority. Yeah, too. yeah, 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 true. Cool. And if people want to find you, follow you, how can they do that? Um, Molly underscore rally. Very <laughs> inventive. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Facebook, Instagram are all that. I don't, I'm a bit lazy on Facebook, to be honest. It's mainly... It's yeah. like looking at the pictures on Instagram. Yeah, I think most of us are like <laughs> yeah. there now. Yeah. And the next rally is in Ballarat. Next rally is in Ballarat. Um, yeah, and then TCR and Winton the following weekend. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
Thanks for having me. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Sweat It Out. Thank you so much for listening, sending love to you all, and I hope the rest of your day is excellent. If you're after some more resources to optimize your health or you would like to learn more about the work we do at iHealth Saunas, just head to iHealthSaunas.com.au or follow us on Instagram at iHealthSaunas underscore AU. And you can find me at Alex Tyson and the number 37. Have a good day, everyone. Cheers.